From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Upstate's Institute for Global Health is studying a potential new vaccine for yellow fever, and here to tell us all about it is the principal investigator, Dr. Chris Paulino. He's an assistant professor of medicine and of microbiology and immunology at Upstate. Thank you for making time once again for HealthLink on Air, Dr. Paulino. Not a problem. Thank you for having me. I'd like to start by having you tell us about yellow fever and why it's a disease that travelers to Africa and South America have been recommended to be vaccinated against. Yeah, so so yellow fever is something that's you know it's been around for centuries. We actually used to have yellow fever outbreaks in the United States um, way back when. Um, and it, the problem with the the infection is there is no real treatment for it. So um, if you get it, um, you kind of have to get supported through the infection. And given the fact that it does have high uh, case fatality rates, it can be really devastating. And what often happens is you'll get infections. And then um, if you're in a, an area where the mosquitoes are able to transmit it, you can get large outbreaks and it can, it can spread very quickly. So it can be deadly? Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, even with supportive care, people do die of this infection. Um, and, you know, most of the data that's out there would indicate that about 50% of people who get infected with this will, will not make it through. Now, is it only transmitted through the bite of a mosquito or can an infected person spread it to, to another person? Yes, this is technically a viral hemorrhagic fever. So you think about things like Ebola virus and how that can be transmitted from person to person. With yellow fever, it really needs to be spread by the mosquito. Um, so there is unlikely a chance that you'd have a person-to-person -person transmission. I'm sure there are some very, very rare case reports where that's a possibility, uh, probably more so from a needle stick injury. Um, but for the most part, you know, that's it's not how it's transmitted. It has to be the mosquito. So you mentioned that we've had yellow fever in the United States, but long ago. Is there any evidence of it being found in mosquitoes in New York State anytime in the near past? Uh, no, no. I, in fact, the, the mosquito that carries yellow fever, uh, which is typically the 80s Egypti mosquito, isn't really found here in New York State. Um, there are some uh, there are some references of 80s uh, albopictus, which is a similar type of mosquito being right on our doorstep that potentially could carry yellow fever, but nothing that's been indicated that, that we, we have a threat looming in our region. Now, from time to time, we have had an issue with West Nile virus in mosquitoes around here. It, is that related to yellow fever in any way? It is distantly related. Um, both yellow fever and West Nile fever are flaviviruses. So then from that standpoint, they are related. Now, the mosquitoes that spread each are different. So you have the 80s Egypti for yellow fever, which we don't really have here. And then we have Culex species mosquitoes, which are um, are more bird mosquitoes that will spread West Nile virus. So that's kind of why we see the, the idea of these dead crows signifying a West Nile outbreak in our region, because those mosquitoes are going to attack birds as well as, you know, potentially humans. Now, getting back to yellow fever, is fever the main symptom of this disease? Is that why it's called yellow fever? Yeah, so um, if fever is in the name, you know, you know you're going to have it, but it's not the the only thing that you, you worry about. So, um, you know, generally with yellow fever, you're going to have two phases of illness. There's going to be this acute phase where people are going to have this kind of flu-like illness that 
um, can be pretty severe. You can have bad headaches. Um, you can have uh, muscle aches, uh, flu-like symptoms in general, as I said. And then there's this toxic phase that can develop, and that's where people really go downhill. Um, generally, they go into multi-organ failure, kidney shutdown. Um, so a sign of that would be maybe not urinating as much. Uh, generally, people will turn yellow and they'll become jaundice, which is the other part of the name. Um, and then on top of that, because the liver is affected, um, there's generally a lot of bleeding that can occur. So people can have bleeding, you know, pretty much from anywhere, bruising under the skin, um, and it can get pretty severe pretty quickly. If a doctor suspects that someone may have yellow fever, uh, is there a test available to confirm it? Yeah, there's a couple tests. So classically, we use antibody response. So you can do serologic testing that can test for yellow fever. Um, you know, that may or may not be helpful. If somebody has a really severe disease, really with any kind of viral infection, you may not mount an antibody response. So you may get a false negative. Um, in addition to that, there are uh, some places where you can send the samples off to and do PCR testing to, to look for the actual genetic material in the person's bloodstream. So, uh, for example, the CDC would be a place that I would reach out to if I had a suspicion of yellow fever and needed to have blood set, uh, sent off for PCR testing. Now, as I understand it, a vaccine for yellow fever has been in use for several decades. So, what's new about what you're studying? So to, to go back a step just to that old vaccine, um, you know, this this vaccine is probably one of the most successful vaccines in the history of man. Um, and, and I say that because it's generally a single shot. And the the data in the past had indicated that we needed to do a 10 year booster. But most of the data that we're seeing coming out now has actually eliminated the need for that in most places because you know, we have people who are 30, 40, 50 years out from vaccination who still have good protective antibodies. So it's a good vaccine. There's, there's nothing has really changed from that standpoint. The problem is, is the way that it's manufactured and the fact that it requires an egg-based uh, manufacturing process, it slows things down quite a bit. And when you have big outbreaks like we've seen in Sub-Saharan Africa in the past several years, and you need to use millions upon you know, tens of millions of doses um, to try to, you know, curb the effects of the outbreak. These these resources were they were dwindled pretty readily. So it got to the point where they were so desperate they were actually using fractionated doses of that vaccine to try to protect people. Basically, taking instead of a full dose, a full vial for the vaccine using that in multiple people in smaller doses to try to provide some form of immunity to protect people. So that 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 issue, that shortage really kind of raised the eyebrows of a lot of the public health officials and realized we need an effective vaccine that we can rapidly make and get out in the situation that we have another one of these outbreaks. And we have these outbreaks pretty frequently in, in Africa, especially. So that's that's where this new vaccine comes into play. It's very similar to the old one. It's a live attenuated vaccine. It's a single dose. The way that they make it, though, is different. Instead of using eggs, they use a cell culture. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Christopher Paulino. He's an assistant professor of medicine and of microbiology and immunology at Upstate, and he's recruiting volunteers for a new clinical trial for a yellow fever vaccine at Upstate's Center for Global Health. So I'd like to ask you how your studies designed and, and what its goals are. 
So the, the goals of this study are really to compare the immune response to this newer vaccine to the, you know, the standard uh, age-old vaccine that we've been using for forever. Um, that, in, in addition to looking at the safety of the two, just to make sure that there's no, um, no significant differences in either of those, um, just based on the fact that we're producing it differently. Um, so that's, that's the, main, the main focus of it. So how many people are you recruiting and what ages and genders? Yep. So um, we are supposed to recruit up to 57 people here at our site. Um, that could be potentially less. It could be potentially more. Um, we're looking for 18 to 60-year-olds um, in uh, a variety of different uh, genders as well as races. Um, anybody who would be of interest um, of participating in the study would be would be welcome. We do do a pretty extensive screening of their health um, to determine whether or not it would be appropriate for them to be in the study. Um, so a couple of things that would probably prevent somebody from participating would include um, pregnancy or lactating. Um, if somebody has any kind of severe immunodeficiencies or any kind of immune modulating drugs that they're taking, so anything that could affect their ability to mount an immune response. Um, and then anybody with any kind of other severe uh, or significant medical disorders that in the uh, eyes of the investigators, myself and my colleagues included, uh, may, may make it uh, somewhat unsafe for them to be in this study. Now, are you looking for people who've already been vaccinated for yellow fever or if they might have already had yellow fever? For this particular study, we are looking for people who are not yellow fever vaccinated um, and have not been uh, receiving any vaccines for other types of flaviviruses as well. Um, so that's kind of the, uh, the cutoff. We're not looking for people who have had it before um, to see if it boosts or anything like that. We're looking for people who have not had any prior exposure to yellow fever in, in any source. Now, in terms of what's going to be required of the volunteers, will everybody, will all of the participants receive one of the vaccinations against yellow fever? Yep, it's a it's a randomized trial, um, and you'll either get the standard uh, vaccine that is FDA approved, or you'll get this newer vaccine, and uh, we'll compare um, the, compare the two that way. Um, as far as kind of study visits and things like that, it'll be a one time injection for both, and then there'll be several visits up through six months. Uh, I think it's a total of up to five visits, depending on. Um, where where people are enrolled and um, you know in, in what cohort we're looking at um, in terms of uh, early phase versus later and then there are going to be uh, annual visits every year starting at 12 months so there'll be up to potentially 10 visits for this yellow fever vaccine although I think our site is only doing nine visits now the visits take place at your office at, at upstate yeah, so we have a research clinic. Uh, it's uh, the Global Health Research Unit over on the fourth floor of the North Building at the community campus. Um, we've been here since uh, last November, I believe, and uh, we basically just do clinical trials out of this site. Now, once the volunteers um, have the vaccine, are they then at, at one of these appointments going to be exposed to yellow fever? No, no, no. Um, so, so you're kind of alluding to challenge studies. Um, generally, with a challenge study, um, you're not going to be doing um, uh, a challenge of the virus or the bacteria that you're testing the vaccine against unless you have really good treatment for that or if there is some kind of 
um, alternative, like a really weakened strain of that infection of some sort. Um, but in this study, we are not doing anything like that. Just vaccine and then observe. So, you, how do you tell whether it's working for this person? Do you test their blood at the at regular intervals? Yep. Yeah. So we'll have blood work that will be done, and during that blood work, we'll take a look at their immune response to the vaccine to see uh, how high their antibodies against yellow fever have gotten. What do you say about the risks to the volunteers? What do they need to know before they sign up? So, you know, with the with the standard yellow fever vaccine, which is really what, where we have most of our information about, um, there are some risks associated with it as a live attenuated vaccine. Um, the risks are generally highest in people who are quite young. Um, so, you know, less than five years old, uh, older, um, generally over the age of 65 or even older than that, or people who have any kind of significant um, uh, medical disorders uh, that would inhibit their immune response. So. If somebody had, you know, some problem with their immunity of some sort or had some thymus problems, that's another specific thing for the yellow fever vaccine. We wouldn't enroll any of those individuals into the study from, from that standpoint, just from a safety perspective. Um, there are some risks associated with these vaccines. Um, in very, very rare cases, people who are not at those high risk groups can potentially have almost like an infection from the virus itself, since this is a live attenuated vaccine. Um, but it, it's something that I have not seen in practice in the 10, 11 years that I've been an infectious disease physician. So um, it's quite, quite rare for that to happen. And that's what we generally tell people. So what's the best way for someone who's interested to learn more? Um, so the, probably the easiest way would be to call our recruitment line, which is 315-464-9869. Um, you could also visit us at our website, and we also have a Facebook account as well. So if you were to search uh, Global Health SUNY Upstate, uh, I'm sure you'll probably find us on there. Now, in the meantime, for people who travel to areas with a threat of yellow fever transmission, they're still being recommended to get the traditional vaccine. Is that right? Correct. And do you have any other advice to um, reduce the risk of getting, you know, bitten by a mosquito when you're traveling? Yeah, you know, I think, um, you know, there's a lot of different types of mosquitoes and a lot of different mosquito-borne illnesses when you go overseas. So with yellow fever in particular, the mosquitoes, the Aedes aegypti, they generally will bite in the mid to late afternoons. That's kind of their high peak. Um, and so if I were going into the Amazonian basin or an area in sub-Saharan Africa where there was a high level of yellow fever, I would use um, some kind of DEET containing bug spray, um, generally something about 25% DEET or greater. And I would use that at frequent intervals, especially in that afternoon period. Um, people talk a lot about bed nets. That's not going to prevent you from getting yellow fever because the mosquitoes that bite you at night are generally going to be the Anopheles mosquitoes that spread malaria, which is why malaria and bed nets kind of go together. Uh, but it's not going to do anything for yellow fever. Well, well, I thank you for making time to tell us about this yellow fever vaccine trial. And I hope no. anyone who's interested in volunteering makes a call to 315-464-9869 for more information. My guest has been Dr. Chris Paulino from Upstate Center for Global Health. He's an assistant professor of medicine and of microbiology and immunology at Upstate. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's HealthLink on Air.